Mastering the Mind podcast, episode six. As always, how are you doing, all? Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm good. Looking forward to this uh, episode. We're uh, covering something I'm very passionate about. So, so yeah, I'm looking forward to it. How are you? Yeah, I'm okay. I'm okay. I was uh, quite down yesterday because uh, the weather. You know, we always yeah. have to talk about the weather in these. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, now it wasn't. It wasn't great in Belgium, but today it's uh, it's picked up a bit and it's uh, it's, it's it's nice. It's cold though. Very cold. Um, yeah. We had like nice weather last week, and then like suddenly it's gone. It's gone terrible again, which is classic England, I suppose. But um, yeah, it's very cloudy and grey, overcast mm. again. I find it. I find it so funny that we always talk about the weather in these. Yeah. <laughs> this is like older people should talk about this stuff. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but um, but yeah, you started work, haven't you? Uh, this yeah. week again. Yeah. So obviously, um, as some of you may know, I um. Uh, I obviously have to work alongside my masters uh, to fund it and fund myself and, and, and living. And uh, yeah, I started back up gardening, uh, the mowing. So if anyone wants their uh, lawn cutting in Leicester, <laughs> let me know. Um, wow. Yeah. wow. Free promo. promoting, Yeah, promoting <laughs> the business on the podcast. Nah, uh, completely fine. But um, wait, I've noticed something. Yeah, Why do you have your hat on? The hat's back on the trim. It's so dead. Like, it's, it's grew <laughs> back and yeah. I need to, uh, I can't wait for the barbers to go back open. I think it's um, first week of April they, they open back up in uh, in England. I haven't really stayed too, too much um, in the loop of when things are opening back up and uh, the restrictions wow. are easing. I just, whenever it happens, it happens. Yeah, I guess everything changes so frequently that it's hard to keep track of what are the rules, what what's open, what's shut. Even here in Belgium, I don't, I don't really know uh, what's going to happen. I don't, even, I don't even think Belgium have a plan. Uh, as to as to what, what, where we're gonna go, but yeah. The only date I know is the twenty um, first of June when the pubs open back up. That's what that's all I've heard. Is that uh, Boris's birthday? I heard or something. Yeah, his, his think... is like the nineteenth, I think, and um, he's obviously got oh, the big weekend. Strategical, strategical. Um, yeah, love to see. But yeah, so we actually kind of looked at um, some statistics uh, of. Of the podcast um so we've got this little app and we can see who uh and how many people have been listening to the podcast so far and we've actually seen that there's people all around the world really uh listening to us which is quite funny yeah uh, so we saw those romania one person in romania Big i don't up. know who that was but yeah shout out to you those the us a couple in the us uh belgium and most um, like the our most listeners were from the UK. Um, mm. Not surprising, but yes, yeah, it's, it's really cool that we can kind of see uh, who 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 we're reaching out to. But, uh, but yes, yeah. uh, and also obviously um, we've pre-recorded a, lo- a lot of podcasts just to get so, so to make sure that we've got weekly content. And um, we released episode one last week, and um, a lot of people have been reaching out to us saying that they want to come on. And we was actually going to save guests until season two. But we thought, um, why not just start getting guests on, get guests booked on? Because I feel like it's like it's so important to uh, talk to people from different professions, different sports, uh, psychological battles they may face, or or if they've got any knowledge they want to share with us. So, if um, if any of you are interested in um, jumping on the podcast, just drop us a DM on Instagram or in the comments section, and um, yeah, we'll definitely uh, think about it. Yep, for sure. Do hit us up. Yeah. But um, in today's uh, podcast, uh, we're kind of going to talk about a topic, like you said, that you're kind of uh, passionate about, 
um, which is basically the psychological impact of kind of getting released from academy football um, and kind of discuss some some stresses around that. But, um, but yeah, you've written quite a lot of uh, assignments on, on this topic and uh, and I must say it's quite interesting and it's quite topical because uh, a, a lot of what we're seeing is quite concerning from these young lads' experiences. So, uh, so yeah, it's going to yeah. be a good one. I've definitely focused a lot of my master's uh, assignments on, on this topic. Originally, I was um, I was solely like within performance psychology, and the, um, like that that's what I was most interested in. But recently, I started reflecting a bit on on like my psychological interests and and how I could help help solve things. And uh, yeah, th- this topic is definitely something that I've grown up and seen firsthand. And um, it's it's becoming the news loads more, so it's definitely something that needs sorting and um, needs needs attention. Yeah, you you definitely seem passionate about the topic, and you mentioned to me quite a few times that you'd like to go into that later on, um, work with uh, these young athletes and help them out because because uh, uh, some of them are struggling. So, um, but yeah. Uh, so just to give you like a, a brief intro, so I don't want to dive straight into the topic. Um, I think it's kind of important to set the scene a bit. So the main sport we're going to focus on is football, uh, obviously because that's the one we know most about. Um, and we know people have experienced uh, going through academies too. So for us, it's a, it's a bit easier to, to kind of shed light on this issue using that sport. But that's not to say that you that you that you will find like differences or similarities between like with your sport. So it could be the same in rugby. It could be the same in basketball, um, in the and their youth systems. Um, but like I said, we're just going to focus on football and the uh, their academies. If any uh, guests want to, um, if if any people want to shed some light on. Uh, like other sports academies and if they've got anything they want to share definitely reach out to us if there's something like obviously I'm passionate about John's very interested in and uh, we'd love to to know more about um, the, the academy route and, and what it's like for people who get released and if it's as brutal as being released in football uh, as we've clearly seen yeah very true so just to take you through it, so I'm going to go point by point as to what we're going to kind of cover in this episode. So first, we're going to cover the negative psychological impact uh, these young athletes face when they get released. Then we're going to briefly cover some stresses the academy players uh, face. And then we're going to talk about the positive impacts of getting released, because often we only focus on the negatives, but there's also some positives, um, which which isn't really addressed, really. And uh, it's quite important to address it because it's not only negative we tend to always look at the negatives, but like I said, there are positives. And then we can then we're gonna go and discuss some couple of things that clubs can consider uh, when uh, releasing their like us uh, to make the process a bit smoother, um, not not be as brutal, um, less psychologically damaging. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So um, so yeah, I'll uh, provide some context um, to do with football um, from my own experience, from from what the literature says, um, and, and just really talk about the reality of what happens in these football clubs. So, um, professional football academies, clubs, uh, they'll scout children from a young age. From I've known like kids from around four to seven years old get scouted. They're in these development centres from from a young age. And um, yeah, they're sort of nursed through all the way up until they're about 16 to 18, where they're either given a contract or not. 
um I don't know about you, John, but I've experienced, I got um, took into the development centre of Birmingham uh, City Football Club. And I I found out that I was like, I had no chance of making it. But um, like back then, like, obviously you go to these development centres and you think, wow, like maybe I've got, maybe I've got a shot. And um, I found out, like now I reflect on it now, I was merely a number just to make up the numbers for the for the better players. We were discussing this last night when um, we were sort of going over um, like what we're going to talk about and stuff. And uh, this was this was a quite a topical thing about how I feel academies they know who they're gonna they're gonna sign. Like they know that there's gonna be one or two players they're looking at for pro contracts and the rest are there to merely make up numbers, which is a problem, but it's sort of something they have to do. But I feel like that there's got to be a plan for, for these lads who aren't going to make it. Yeah, ultimately, football is a business, isn't it? So it can be brutal brutal in that sense. But you don't only see that at youth level. I, I think you kind of see that at a professional level, adult level. Um, players get recruited uh, to join teams because uh, they're good at defending and coaches want uh, their strikers to be challenged a bit more uh, and to reach that next level so I think it's quite common also in at high level football um, in the adults um, but yeah it's, it's it's not it's not nice it's it's the reality and that's yeah. how it is unfortunately but like, yeah like you said uh, it would be nice to have like a, a backup plan for for these young guys that get released yeah so so obviously being scouted from a young age um, a lot of these players, all they know is football. And especially when you're at these high-level academies, like, you just think, well, the only option for me is, like, professional. Like, I'm going to make it to a professional footballer. And that's what we call a high athletic identity. And it's very, um, I find, from 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 my experience in academies, that it's a very narrow mindset that they solely think, like, pr- professional football is only for me, like, I'm not. I'm not worried about education, um, and I. I always find that within within these academies, they look at education as merely an obstacle in the way of them playing football. So, within these like development centres in the academies, they have to do ed- education programs alongside it, and um, they have to do like their schoolwork before they go and train and. Sometimes there can be punishments for not um, doing your schoolwork, but sometimes if you're that good of a player, like it doesn't even matter that if you don't do your schoolwork. Um, so the the focus on education so limited um, and not really focused on within these academies. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and this is concerning because only one to ten percent of players actually make it to the professional level and and, and achieve these professional contracts. So when they get to 16, they'll either be given the contract or not. And then when they get to like 18, that that decision will happen again. Um, So there's two times they've got to make it through selection procedures. And like I said, 90%, a a minimum of 90% won't make it to the next level. And they can go down the uh, football pyramid and and maybe make a career um, at a lower level. But chances are a lot lot of these players... uh, um, and, and not making it and having a professional football career. Yeah, it's, it's quite it's quite a worrying start actually. Um, but yeah, it's the reality of it. Um, I think everyone knows now that reaching professional level is in any sport really is uh, is is very difficult. It's it's very competitive. 
Um, yeah. So yeah, I mean that's that's like uh, it, it's the reality of it, and not everyone's going to be able to make it pro. I mean, if every single kid who likes football made a professional, then we'd have about five million leagues. But um, the problem with it that I have a problem with is a lack of education focus. So it's something I've focused a lot in uh, in my assignments and how to promote value to these academy footballers because it's all it's all well and good saying oh yeah um, to to a footballer uh, make sure you do schoolwork like you need a backup plan. But like like I said, their identity is solely within uh, a professional football context, and throughout their career, they've um, they've been told that you have to sacrifice everything to make it to professional level when like they have to have some sort of backup plan uh, and some sort of interest outside of professional football uh, because like i said 90 percent are going to be left with no education no interest outside of football and they're 16 to 18 with no like they haven't got qualifications to get into university um, so, so some may have, but like I said, like what with what interest? They're just going to go and do a degree, off off a whim that maybe they'll enjoy it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's worrying. Um, and as a consequence of this foreclosed identity, like you mentioned, uh, like this identity that's solely in football, it, it can lead to to major psychological distress when this identity is taken out, which like when they get released, basically. Um, and a huge, huge outcome of this is identity crisis. Um, so yeah, they kind of lost their, they're thrown in the real world. Um, like you said, they've only known football their entire life since they were a young age. Uh, they were sold a dream basically. Uh, they, yeah, it's, I can't imagine how hard it must be. Um, yeah. I, I couldn't talk from experience cause I've never experienced it. I, I started football quite late anyways. Um, but I can understand that. Well, in a sense, I do have an athletic identity, but it's less, it's, it's to a less degree than these guys. Um, I, I, yeah, and I can, I'm putting myself in their shoes and it must be so difficult. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I can sort of like agree with you there in terms of an, an identity. Like I have a high athletic identity, but I have interests, other interests in sport other than just playing football. Like... I couldn't see me doing a career outside of sport. I don't think like me trying to think of a career now. I mean, I'm not sure what I'd be doing, but, but yeah, these like the fact of um, when these players are released, uh, it can cause major psychological distress Um, and and psychological distress can be um, broken down into things like John said, identity crisis. Um, The literature has also found humiliation, uh, loss of self-esteem, because I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, the lads who were at Leicester, they were seen as like the boys, like they they were like the superstars of, of school, like, wow, they're at Leicester City. We had such a football-dominated school, and for them to be playing at that level, whilst the rest of us are sort of playing at Sunday League and like just, just cracking on enjoying it, like these lads are actually making a career. And um, yeah. Um, I, I only know of a couple who have, who have actually made it to the professional game. Some have actually dropped out of football now. Um, and I'm not speaking from their experience, but from what the literature has said, from being the boys, from being the superstars at school, um, it can cause a lot of humiliation and a loss of self-esteem when they are eventually released because 
they've lost that superstar status that that they once had, and now that like, what have they got? And I don't want to be like brutal, but like, they've got nothing to fall back on, which is it's such a problem. Mm. No, I like your honesty there. Like, it's true. What do they have? Um, and once again, it all comes down to identity. It's the identity is just gone. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's it's tough. It's tough. And then that can sort of like funnel down even further. This is all shown within the literature. So like I've read deeply around this subject and it, it falls down then into things like depression, fear, anxiety. And even in the worst case scenarios, it can even lead to suicidal thoughts and ideation. And we've seen that, like I've seen in the news a lot recently about these, like, uh, so I've seen interviews and stuff of, um, kids who are who have suicidal thoughts when they're released but a specific example is a 17 year old Jeremy Whiston um, who took his own life after being released from from the Man City Academy and obviously our, our condolences go out to his family uh, and of course th- this could be attributed to, to other things outside of football um, but from what the literature says um, it could very well be based from being released from, from football. Mm. Yes I think it's good to also point that out um, we can't make a direct correlation. There might be other other factors that do play a part in in these unfortunate like circumstances. Um, but obviously, like we said, it's, uh, it's it's sometimes it's quite obvious, you know. Like it's, yeah. it's, it's the identity. It's it's really the sense of identity is gone. So you your self worth is 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 you have a negative self worth. Like you just. Yeah, yeah it's, it's not it's not great. It's a very sensitive topic to talk about, and like some like when, when I'm explaining stuff like that, I, I I feel like I'm I'm treading on eggshells and I'm worried about what I'm gonna say, but ultimately I just feel like it's the it's just a reality, and it's it's just so sad it needs addressing. And I, I know that the Premier League are trying to to um, use initiatives like they introduced this thing called the Elite Player Performance Plan. And um, a lot of the focus within that, the the whole focus of that initiative mainly is to produce more homegrown talent. But within it, they've started introducing more of a focus on education and how they can promote value within that. Um, so, so they are f- trying to um, like solve this issue. But again, it, it's still prevalent. Yeah, and I think you're right to say that it's quite a sensitive topic and we'd love to hear from our listeners also. Uh, and from people that are actually working within uh, these academy systems and their perspective on it, because we could be completely wrong, but we're obviously taking the information that we're seeing uh, in the media, uh, in research papers. Maybe it's it's deeper than that. Uh, maybe it's something we don't know. Um, so we'd love to to kind of discuss that with someone, like teach us, you know, let, let us know your thoughts. We'd love to be to be proved wrong and to, and to be told that this actually isn't the case. Like I, that that'd be my biggest like I'd I'd love that if if this wasn't the case and this wasn't happening in in football academies. But yeah, from from what John said, he said it perfectly that this is what we've seen um, within the literature, within within papers and um, interviews and stuff with previously released academy footballers. Yep. So we're kind of go we're kind of going to go on as to why this kind of happens. Uh, and there may be, like we said, a lot of different explanations, but within the literature, there's a, there's a main reason. And I think Oli is the best person to, to kind of explain this because he knows it way better than I do. And I don't want to not do it justice. So 
if you don't mind all. No, no, that's fine. So um, there's this thing called the conceptual, conceptual model of career transitions in sport. And it's a, a transition, for example, is, for example, being released from, from um, academy football. So that's our example. And it's based on how the club has guided them throughout that process. So there can be negative transition factors and there can be positive transition factors. So firstly, I'll go through the negative transition factors. So that includes, um, for example, involuntary career termination. Um, so things like, so the player has limited control regarding the continuation of his, of his career. Um, he's, he's had a failure to achieve his sporting goals. So, so maybe in his head, like we said about the identity, the, in his head, he had such big goals within football and to be released and, and that to be taken away so suddenly, um, it can lead to such psychological distress. And, and again, linked to that as well is unfulfilled sporting potential. So, so maybe they hadn't even reached their full development and it, because... As we know, no one's fully, de de well, you got to be lucky, but no one's fully mm -hmm. developed to be at 16. Like people can still be developing 18, e even beyond that. So um, yeah, the involuntary career termination for them to go into a meeting and then to be told you've, you've not made the cut, uh, I'm sorry. Um, yeah, it, it's uh, involuntary career termination. It's a negative transition factor. Mm. And I know this is really based on the topic we're kind of discussing, but I was thinking involuntary career termination can also be like sports injuries, for example, uh, not having control over that termination of career because of an injury, yeah, career-ending injury, uh, can also can also be quite detrimental. Um, but yeah, yeah, even if you're out for like a couple of like eight months, like an ACL injury. Like that, that involuntary that you, you're out of sport now for eight months, like can cause psychological distress. Um, the next negative transition factor is uh, development of a high athletic identity. So I feel it's inevitable that um, you're going to develop a high athletic identity if you're within a football club. Um, but it's the fact of a narrow, narrow identity of, of high athletic. Like there needs to be a focus on other things. Um, we'll go on to that later on. Um, and then also limited psychosocial support. So this this is both ways. So athletes, clubs, I think should both listen to this point um, because I've spoken with um, academy psychologists, but I've also, I've seen players, um, no clubs not providing this as well. So limited, limited psychosocial support. Clubs actually arrange for post um like meetings after they've been released to sort of catch up see how they're getting on and stuff but some players actually refuse like i don't know about you john but if i was to be released it is pretty frustrating to go back to that where you've just been let go and be like oh let's meet up and like chat like like we're all happy it's just not the case but players players need to need need to go and have that like psychosocial support yeah i don't know if i'd if i'd um if I'd go to that meeting, uh, well, it, I think it depends on the personality. I think I'm a kind of person that, um, <laughs> I wouldn't say, it, I, I find it difficult to forgive people because it's not really like a, an error from their part because obviously they're thinking they're doing the right thing. Um, but it, it's, I don't know, I'd feel a bit, maybe that would be a bit forced, you know, that they're just doing it because it's protocol and that yeah. they don't really, I mean, that they don't yeah. really actually care. Once again, That's it might point. be super controversial that what we're saying now, but 
this is my from my perspective if i was in in that place i'm not saying it's the case i'm just saying if i was in that situation this that's how i would see it yeah no that's a that's, that's a really good point um yeah to come say? back to come back on your um previous point about uh it's inevitable to have this high athletic identity high athletic football identity well yeah it's true it's like it's inevitable but they clubs have to make sure that this identity is also like you said not narrow mm. that's okay to have a high athletic identity but just have like different areas you know of of interest or, or where your identity can lie not only into football yeah and i think this is the key key thing to to kind of do to kind of uh solve yeah. the, the issue 100%. And if clubs aren't providing uh, the psychosocial support, then, then that definitely needs to be uh, installed. Maybe one way around it, like we're going to talk about the interventions after that, that could be included, but maybe an external um, psychologist that, that's employed uh, by the yep. club. Um, mm. So they're all the negative transition factors. Um, moving on to the positive transition factors that clubs can, can adopt. Um, and if if these positive transition factors are facilitated, then the psychological distress that um, players uh, feel after being released aren't quite as distressing and it's actually quite a positive process for them because they have other options outside of football. So things including appropriate career planning. So they've got a backup plan, they have other interests, they sort of know what career they're going to go into after or, or like what's their next step before being told they've been released. They sort of know already. Um, institutional support so that links with the negative transition factor of limited psychosocial support and then the final one is higher educational status so throughout their career they focused on education and um, they're quite smart lads and bright lads in other areas other than just playing football yep yep um but yeah like this is an ongoing issue um we're seeing more and more stories. Um, I don't know if you wanted to add any more on that kind of positive transition before I go, I go on to an example of a story. No, um, yeah, no, I've, I've sort of cut, I think I've covered everything yeah, there, yeah. That's good. Yeah, so like I said, these these stories are, we keep hearing more and more stories, uh, more and more articles being published. And actually, well, we found one uh, that was published uh, three days ago. Um, and it's about an Ipswich, Ipswich Town player. <laughs> oh my God, my bilingual, <laughs> ah, my brain. Um, so his name is Lewis Reed, and he said that he endured a living hell um, at his time at an academy football club. Um, so he kind of came out uh, after he he kind of got released from his club, and he kind of felt comfortable talking about it because he was away from from the sport for, for quite some time, um, which is really positive, actually. It's, it's nice to see these uh, these young lads kind of coming out and speaking about their experience because it's important. We kind of need to know what's happening. Um, but yeah, he just basically stated in the article that he'd, he'd loved for for the team that he, he was at to, to give him better support. Um, he described that he felt invisible to coaching staff. Um, and obviously during his time there, he had quite a negative experience as well. So before he got released, he said that he was told us like several times to, to kind of man up. Because um, he had an ingrowing toenail. Um, but as you see, it's like the sh- 
what happens within it it's not always within the club it's not always as smooth as we think um yeah like obviously being released is an issue but within the structure itself sometimes we can see i wouldn't say it like yeah i don't know what you it's think quite like that. a it's like a manly um uh like not very supportive like just you just gotta crack on maybe that's sort of to do with the coaching um and how they deliver deliver things um i know like in, in coaching courses as of recent they are they aren't really promoting it like that but if a coach has been in the game for a while and, and they have sort of uh old school way of thinking um like back to the 90s football and early 2000s um then yeah they'll probably have that stuck identity of uh, this is the way it should be delivered this is the way that it works back in the day so it's going to work now which is yeah times have moved on yeah so this young lad um also so basically his family were quite worried um because apparently he had the suicidal ideation and suicidal thoughts after this kind of happened so that his family kind of reached out to the to the club for help and they gave him uh counseling sessions but he he declined to to kind of uh the, he he declined the offer of more sessions uh because he felt it didn't help which is also quite interesting to hear um mm. I, I don't know yeah i don't know what the reason might have been for that maybe it was someone not adequate adequately trained or not trained but like of working within that football context if you know what i mean yeah um maybe he can relate to that person um but uh, he actually what was quite funny uh he did mention in the article that the security guard at the club um was one of his best uh like support systems um so he uh, like he'd have like 30 to 40 minute chats with him um and and he he basically he just said that he he found him more supportive than the actual coaches at the club wow yeah yeah it's mad um what else? Yeah, so he. This is a really interesting quote, so I'll read it to you. Um, he he goes on to say, "We are 16, 17, 18, out of school, straight into a tough environment. It's all we've known: football, football, football. There's no guidance on what to do next, and what this next step is going to be." Yeah, that's that sort of links just, back to what we, we've we've just been talking about. How there's no there's no plan. It's sort mm-hmm. of you're out in the big bad world now and just crack on like yeah 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 that basically confirms what we just talked about um yeah yeah. so we've kind of talked about getting released as a as a major stressor it's the main kind of topic of of this podcast uh, episode but we thought it'd be also interesting to kind of highlight some other stressors uh these young athletes face um so we had a quite um a passionate uh, debate last night about yeah. this um which is good it's good to have different opinions it's good to have uh, different perspectives um so basically this stressor is the influence of social media so i've talked to a couple of people that work in high level football at youth level and they've actually uh, told me that social media can be a massive stressor for these young athletes because there are some pages on social media that promote these young athletes, um, which is really cool, um, actually, because it gives them exposure to, to other clubs. Um, so it can have positive effects. But then uh, the person went on to say that they kind of assess their self-worth and their self-value based on whether they've appeared on that page and whether they get a shout out from that from those pages or 
there's tons of them on, online. Um, but I, I'm really supportive of these pages. I find them really cool. I find them super entertaining. Like, who doesn't like watching someone get nutmegged or, you know? Yeah. I, um, I, I follow these pages mainly for the reason to to see the upcoming talent. Like, I, I think it promotes their careers really well. And maybe, like, something I was thinking upon reflection after our debate, um, I feel like some clubs really focus on just going for the the guy who's been in the career for a while. He's like a vet of, of football. You can always rely on him to grab a few goals. But but these pages sort of promote these youngsters and, and can entice clubs to take a gamble on them because they've seen these clips of how good they are and maybe they would have gone under the radar before. Um, so I think it's, yeah, it's definitely a positive thing, I think. Yeah, I was kind of... I didn't think of it that way at all. I thought of it as just solely like, literally, it's kind of like an agent, isn't it? Those pages. It's giving them free promo um, for, for clubs to see because, yeah, like I said, it's just giving them exposure. But now that I think about it, from what that person told me, it can have also a side effect. Um, I know it's not these pages' intentions to, to kind of have this side effect, obviously not, but... I th- I, th- I do believe it can be a massive stressor for these uh, for these young guys, and it can be problematic for coaches, uh, performance psychologists who work within these youth systems because they're trying to implement a sort of culture and a sort of way of thinking that like you shouldn't be you shouldn't evaluate your self worth based on social media, based on likes, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, that's more than that. And sometimes it can be overridden by these pages because obviously ultimately they're they're more on their phones probably at home than during these little workshops with the with these coaches and but yeah it was inter- it was an interesting kind of chat I had with this person. Um, I think it's definitely like a um, I feel like in house that it can sort of like be solved. Like I know when I was at Solly or Moors, um, I had to so I did like analysis for the under 23s and the under 18s. And I used to have to clip everyone's highlights, so individual highlights. So every time they touch a ball, I would press their number and then that would like then provide a big like um, video of all of their clips every time they touch a ball. And they were strictly told by the coaching staff that you can't use this for social media because like John said, it, it can lead to the, those things of like, maybe if someone gives you like a negative comment or like it can sort of not your confidence like it should solely be used for educational purposes of how you can improve your game rather than trying to like boost your ego and it can even go the other way of knocking your confidence yeah like yeah it's true i I know some clubs uh leave the access to for the players to uh, yeah basically access all these videos but i think it's good to kind of warn them to not post on social media um it's just better for their protection yeah. Um, I, I'd I'd say, but um, but yeah, it can't always be controlled like that. Um, and it's uh, it, I guess that's it's this issue of social media is 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 applicable to every every like every area of life. I, I guess yeah, exactly. It's social, not only, yeah, yeah, social media is like shaped the way like we're doing a podcast right now. Would we have done this like fifteen twenty years ago? Probably not. No. Like social media comes with its massive benefits, and it also comes with massive negatives, and. You just got to be conscious about it and pick and choose what's best for you and try and, um, yeah, reduce the negatives. Yeah. So the next stress that I kind of thought of, which is less exciting, I think, but uh, still quite relevant. Um, so it's uh, academy players moving abroad. So 
I'll just give an example now. So Kevin De Bruyne. So he he yeah. So he was in he was living in an area of Belgium and uh, got recruited by Genk at quite a young age. Um, so his family basically let him go to to Genk uh, and live with a step family. And apparently he came out. Um, I kind of talked about his experience his experiences about that and um he said that he didn't really have a good time um that the family didn't really didn't manage to connect with him uh because he was so different like his personality was like he kept a lot to himself um didn't really talk much um but he was performing really well uh at the club um but but yeah i can understand like it must be so difficult as a as a as a young lad um trying to make it going going into this random family um yeah, i think, I think that goes that that goes like across the board for for all um like adoption and foster families like people who are in that system it's it's, it's difficult and um and, and yeah like yeah that's just yeah it's just life yeah. i know but i i just find that i i respect these guys because they they i don't know how they do it they just manage to to persist you know like and 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 endure these stresses and like he's obviously like when he went into like he earned the spot in the first team and it's, and he he because we talked about this in another episode if it doesn't go well at home it often shows uh during your performance doesn't it it's like personal stresses yeah exactly yeah and, and he must be super special because it didn't show um so so he's he got selected by Genk and had to leave his family wherever he was to go and live with another family. Yeah. Is that the case? Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, and actually, at the end, I forgot to mention that the family kicked him out, basically. They didn't want him to live in the in the same house. I don't know if it was that brutal, but I think it just didn't work out. So Genk had to find him uh, a new family, I think. I think I remember um, the interview and he, yeah, he seemed um, quite... I went like not angry, but like no, he was. Have, I think he was. Yeah. He, he, I think he, he had an interview, and was it was it written interview or a verbal interview? Did no, you see I, I think I seen the verbal one. Like oh, where okay. I, I could see him like talking, yeah. Because in the written one, I think he, yeah, he he wasn't afraid to express his feelings and his thoughts about it, and I don't think he was afraid to to give his honest opinion. Mm. But yeah, another example is uh, Wilfred and Didi. So. I find this kind of crazy because it ha- it must happen so much. Um, so also Genk recruited him from a team from Nigeria. So he kind of moved to Belgium at 17, 18 years old. And he was also uh, put in a step family. Now this must be so difficult because you come from a different country. You, you have to integrate a, a random family. Um, you don't speak the local language. Uh, you're alone, like hours away from from your country yeah. uh, there's n- numerous cultural differences and once again an example of someone that's persisted and that's made it um but yeah i find this really interesting and and i think it's kind of good to talk about it because i think coaches obviously are aware of this but just in general people like th- there are some things that we don't see and that we forget easily so yeah. i think examples examples like that it sort of shows that it, it like provides like this mental resilience and mental strength for people like indeed like for, from like what i know he's studying whilst at leicester 
uh, at like degree level and like I think maybe that experience for him leaving home going to live in Belgium like that's that's giving mental strength and now he's going on and, and doing even further so for anyone listening challenge yourself mentally because like it's going to provide that mental strength and you're going to grow and you're going to build from that so don't just think oh this is like a negative and, and it's such a stressor try and think that the stressor is positive like we always promote positive self-talk and how that's such a good strategy like indeed yep. seeing the positive from moving away and um living with a random family and, and sort of progressing through his football career yeah super inspirational for sure and uh, just as a little quick note i think he's still in contact with the family and um he he goes i think i, I don't know he might see them sometimes or or they go over but um but it's quite cute you know they ha still have this relationship um yeah. it's it's nice it's, it's nice it's, it's nice to see but I, I guess this must happen even within the uk because the uk is quite big some young lads have to kind of move but maybe there's more structure to it maybe there there's like a like dorms like the club have dorms or i, I i'm not sure how it, how it works in the uk but completely off topic but I don't know whether this slide is sort of the same, but isn't that story about Ronaldo where um, he he has like, the, I think he was really, he grew up in like a poor part of Portugal, I think. And um, he, yeah, used to get given, he used to get given food by a lady at McDonald's, I think, or, or something along those lines. And he's like really looked after her. I, I think I'm correct in saying that. Um, and he's really looked after her after making it to professional level because she, she really helped him. Um, I just thought that was I cool. haven't. <laughs> yeah, I have no idea. I know that he, yeah, he grew up in a tough area. Um, but yeah, I think he's quite supportive of uh, that community. I actually yeah. went to go see it. I went to a school trip. Uh, it's like a little island off Portugal. It's not actually on in oh, really? the mainland. It's like a, it's like a island. Yeah. So, um, it's, yeah, it's quite a small island and it's very community based. And uh, this guy. Um, everyone obviously loves Ronaldo over there. So as soon as we we found out he was actually from there uh we asked like uh the, the tour guys to kind of show us around like his old neighborhood and stuff um and he showed us like a it was like a pub his dad used to go to a lot and there's like there's like a ronaldo shirt uh in there like signs <laughs> yeah but yeah it was, and there's like a museum on on that little island too which is kind of cool but um but yeah cool so i don't know whether you want to like include that, that that part and then i can go back into yep uh, I'm just going to repeat what I just said before, basically, just it's, it's nice to kind of talk about these stresses um, and to make people kind of aware of these because we often forget how hard it must be, you know, going through the system, going through the academy system and what it takes to make it. So massive respect to Ndidi and De Bruyne and to everyone who uh, who managed to do it. Yeah, so um, link, like going back now to, to being released from academy football and, and the main topic, so we've talked about like the negative factors of being released and, and of different types of stresses that athletes may face at, at youth football. However, it isn't always negative. So we've looked at all the negative consequences being released can cause, but, but this isn't always the case. Not all players experience this psychological distress following due selection. Um, and, and like I said, like the, um, having received career planning, institutional support, higher educational development throughout the um, academy process is, um, yeah, it's definitely important. Um, so yeah, ju just to talk about possible interventions um, that clubs and organisations should do. Um, 
There's a few bullet points such as uh, provide therapeutic uh, problem oriented service to, to players experience pervasive psychological issues, um, develop evidence based preventative pr approaches um, and address transitional issues and offer counselling with uh, club psychologists. Yeah, I think at cat, is it so in the UK there's like cat, it's like cat one, cat two. I'm not yeah. sure, but I think at cat one, cat two level, um, the FA have made it as as if like you, uh, they have to have a, a psychologist uh, at all times. Yeah, yeah, mandatory. That's the that's the word I was trying to find. <laughs> mandatory. Yeah, um, I'm with my Belgian friend. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's been a long day. Um, it's tough, um, yeah. but yeah. It's, it's mandatory, which is really good, actually. It's really, really good. Um, it's super important. It's super it important. And and we need these sports psychologists and not only these psychologists because, obviously, it's kind of hard to relate. As a youth player, it's, it's hard to relate to a pure psychologist because he probably isn't using the football lingo. He doesn't really know much. Well, he probably doesn't know much about football, but being that sports psychologist is, I think, it makes a difference. And... Yeah. 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 So something we've tried to really focus on whilst podcasting is to reiterate key points um, as we really want you to take that home and um, yeah, for, for clubs and uh, to, to try and um, adopt these things. So I'm just going to go through the negative transition factors and also the positive transition factors again um, and how clubs should try to stay away from the negative transition factors and then try and adopt the positive transition factors. So negative transition factors include involuntary career termination, development of a higher third identity with no other focus upon any other areas of their identity and limited psychosocial support. Whilst focusing on positive transition factors such as appropriate career planning, institutional support and higher educational status. And just one thing, um, Food for thought for any researchers out there. I've um, obviously I said that I focused a lot on my masters on this topic, um, and this hasn't been researched. So it's not been proven. But if anyone wants to go out there and, and do a research topic on it, then I thought I'd just shed some light on, on something that I've done within within my masters. So one of it was um, on long term goal setting, um, linking it with the identity value model. So the identity value model basically suggests that. Um, you really want to protect your, your like um, how people see you. Um, so say, for example, if you set a long-term goal, you're more likely to stick to that because you want to protect um, your, your like, identity. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah. Uh, and then the other one is a longitudinal study that looks at the uh, psychological effects of being released because a lot of the literature is only looked at um, one month after being released. Um, it's something I really wanted to conduct on my, on my master's, but I haven't got the resources to, to, to conduct it because I only have, um, well, we have till September and we're currently in March. So there's just not enough time to look, to look beyond uh, a year. So I've had to refocus and focus on something else within academy football, but I'm still within that sort of context. Um, so if anyone re researcher wants to look beyond one month, I suggest you do so because we need to see whether the, that psychological distress is still prevalent, um, what sort of career trajectory they've got after um, being released, whether they sort of found their feet or not. Like, who, who knows? Mm. Um, and yeah, is there anything else you want to say, John? And then I can just uh, wrap up. The intro guy is back. <laughs> no, I, I think we've, uh, we've discussed all, all things. So 
So yeah. go ahead, do your thing. So uh, we, we hope you enjoyed this episode. It's, it's a topic that I really enjoy and John's interested in. Uh, we've discussed a problem within academies uh, that's been in academies for decades now. And uh, we talked about some negative transition factors that clubs should stay away from, but also positive transition factors that they should facilitate during the released academy process. Um, if you could please share this with your friends or, or someone you feel will benefit from it. And most importantly, uh, like, subscribe, comment down below any questions you had on this topic, and we'll answer them in our bonus episode on our YouTube channel, which will be released on Friday. Um, or comment down below any topics you'd like us to, to cover in the future. If you're a, you want to become a guest, uh, let us know. Drop us a DM or something uh, on our Instagram or Twitter. Um, and other than that, uh, thanks for listening, and uh, we'll see you in the next one. Wow. One, one intro. I'm a pro. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, everyone, rate down below <laughs> on the outro. Been practicing, practicing. Yeah, let's see if it's progressed since last week. Uh, yeah. <laughs> right, Go back to episode guys. one. <laughs> <laughs> Still out. <laughs>